Now, in the midst of uh, Moses telling the people, this is all taking place at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've heard the voice of the Lord. They've seen the power of His majesty. He's explaining to them how God would be worshipped, how He would have them live before Him. And in the midst of that, He records a tragic event and a shocking event. He says, Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, daughter of Dibri, of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Now Lord's Day 36 speaks to us concerning the third commandment. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And it asks, what is God's will for us in the third commandment? The answer is that we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we may use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe, so that we may properly confess him, call upon Him, and praise Him in everything we do and say. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming His name. That is why He commanded it to be punished with death. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is it that makes a name so significant? We name our children, we choose carefully, don't we? Knowing that they'll be saddled with that name the rest of their lives. But on what basis do we name them? Sometimes it's a name that we just think is really beautiful. Other times, we like the connotations of that name. Perhaps it was a beloved uncle's or aunt's or grandparent's name. And we want them to be encouraged to be like that person. Or perhaps the more academic among us might look up the meanings of different names and determine that they like this name because of that meaning. All of those are legitimate But the most significant thing about a name 
is the way it identifies and is identified with the person to whom it belongs. It's a symbol, if you will, of the person himself. Who among us can hear the name Gretchen and not immediately think of our governor? And if you hear the name Donald, you'll probably think of someone who's very different than our governor. We admonish our children with Psalm, or not Psalm, Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And we admonish them with that to encourage them to guard their name. Don't act in a way that will make your name something that people use as a warning. Right? Because once you lose that good name, once your name is identified with one who doesn't work well or one who is not to be trusted, well, you can't get that back. If they doubt us, all we need to do is talk to them about the name Benedict. I don't know that that's even taught in our public schools anymore, but we have a bunch of Christian school and, and homeschool students. They probably know what the name Benedict signifies. It's a beautiful name. It means one who is blessed, which is why it was so popular for so many generations. But then Benedict Arnold came along. And kids, you probably know the story. Benedict Arnold was a, a great asset to the American forces in the war for independence until he wasn't until he turned coat helped the British sold himself for the sake of the British and suddenly his name was associated not with blessing but with cursing not with something to be longed for and sought after but with treason names identify and are identified with the one who bears them. You know, one of the great traumas experienced by prisoners at the Auschwitz concentration camp and other concentration camps in World War II was that their names were taken away. As soon as they entered the camp, they were tattooed with a number on their arm. And that number became their identification. They were no longer regarded as people who have names, but as mere objects who have serial numbers. It was a way of depersonalizing them, a way of saying, you aren't worthy of even being regarded as having a name, as having a, an individuality about you. Names, you see, are important. They identify who and what we are as individuals. And so to slander a person's name hurts because it shows contempt for the person himself, for his very being. Well, if names bear such significance for us, how much more so for God? In the third commandment, we find that God takes quite seriously the misuse of his name. In fact, he warns us, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who misuses his name. That's a serious warning. And as people who have been adopted by God, as people who bear his name as his disciples... This third commandment should be precious to us because of how God's name identifies both the Lord whom we love and serve and us as his disciples. And therefore, God's people 
honor, out of gratitude, out of thankfulness, God's grateful people honor His holy name. And that's the theme that we consider this evening. God's grateful people honor His holy name. And to understand that, we need to see, first of all, how we're called to pursue God's honor by glorifying His name. As much as names are significant in our day and age, they were even more so in the Bible's ages. The first job that God gave to Adam was naming the animals, naming all the creatures God would bring before him. That wasn't just so that he and his offspring wouldn't get confused about the creatures they were talking about. That act of naming signified authority signified ownership. It showed that Adam had authority over all of these creatures he was naming. That, that's why we find God calling all the stars by their names. God naming the light, naming the day and the night, naming the heavens and the earth and the sea. God was sovereign over these things, therefore he had the right to name them. Names often serve to express God's purpose or intention for a per- person. He renamed Jacob as Israel, which means God contends because it was showing that that God would contend for this, his people. David's second son with Bathsheba was named Solomon, which means peaceful, to reflect God's promise that he would reign over a kingdom of peace. However, the greatest significance of a name is its representation of the person it identifies. God promised in Deuteronomy 12... He would select a place in the promised land for his name to dwell. Where he said his name, that's where his people must worship, because where he said his name, that's where they could find his presence. Name and presence, name and essence. They go together in Scripture. The name is inseparable from the one whom it represents. How you treat a person's name is what you think of the person himself. And so how we treat the name of God reveals what we think of, how we regard God. So what is God's name? In truth, he is referred to in Scripture by a number of names. The most common name is El or Elohim, which we render God as well as Lord, Adonai. Often he is called God Almighty, El Shaddai, or the Lord of hosts, Adonai Savaot. But the one name that is his uniquely, I mentioned that this morning, the one name that belongs to no one else is Yahweh. Yahweh is the name that simply means he is. It points to his constant, perpetual presence, his beingness. He's the one who always is and always has been and always will be. The one who is ever present, no matter where you are or what you're doing. When Moses asked God what he should say to the people, when they asked, who is this God who has sent you to us? He wasn't just asking, how do I refer to you? He was asking, who are you? What are you like? What kind of God is this that has sent me to the people of Israel? And God answered, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. 
Yahweh. He is. Emmanuel, God with us. Yehoshua, Yahweh saves. They're all God's name. They all refer to the one and same triune God. Now, of course, there are other names to the triune God, the Holy Spirit being one, referring to God's presence with us, God the person who dwells in the midst of us and within us, and Jesus, the Christ, whose name means God saves, and anointed one. Though he has a number of names, in each case we're referring to the same triune God, there is but one God. And it is His name we are to honor regardless of which name we're using. Now this third commandment condemns blasphemy. Kids, do you know what that is? It's a big word, but it has a simple meaning. It's just misusing God's name. And there are a number of ways you can do that, but the common thread to all blasphemy is we're misusing. We're not using God's name the way we should. And it's evil. Because it reveals the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 32, He says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's Matthew 12, verse 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, how we use God's name reveals what we think. About God. So if we use His name reverently, seeking to honor Him, using it carefully, we're showing that in our heart we respect God, we love God, we honor Him. If we use it to pray, we show that we believe that He's the one who hears us and that He's the one who gives us all these good things. If we use it in a way that that attributes to Him all the good that we've received, we show that we believe that He is the giver of all that is good. But if we use it lightly, as a throwaway term, if we use it in a way that makes it merely a place marker, something that we just kind of throw out there, we show that we don't think much of God. We're not really honoring Him. We don't really respect Him. And God doesn't take that lightly. Remember what you just heard from Leviticus 24. This man in the camp. This son of the covenant. Yes, his father was an Egyptian, but his mother was an Israelite. He was was a child of the covenant. He gets into a fight with an Israelite man. Now what exactly he said isn't recorded. The precise words aren't important. What's important is that he dishonored God by dishonoring God's name. And the people hear it. And so they take him into custody. They don't know what to do about this. They know that he has used God's name in a way that's wicked. But what do we do about that? So they arrest him. And they ask Moses. And Moses asks God. And what does God say? Everyone who heard him, you take him outside the camp, you put your hands on his head. That's testifying against him. We heard this. And then everyone, those who heard and those who didn't, men as well as women, young as well as old, that are to take up stones, and they are together to stone him, to kill him with rocks. It's gruesome. That's stunning. That's traumatic. And it should be. 
Do you get that when he says, I will not hold him guiltless who misuses my name. God's saying, I won't forgive this sin. He's saying, in a sense, this sin is worse than Sabbath breaking, worse than dishonoring your parents, worse than adultery, worse than murder, worse than stealing, worse than coveting. Because you're showing in your heart that you despise the one who made you, the one who every moment of your life sustained you. That's what this man had done. And that's why the whole of God's people had to not just take his life, but demonstrate to the whole of God's people that this is the eternal end of the one who scorns God. That's how seriously he takes it. It's not merely an academic matter, a theoretical matter. The the sinful heart with which we are born desires glory. Not for God, but for us. And so blasphemy, dishonoring God so that we can honor ourselves, that sin always lies close to hand. And so we're called to protect God's honor by guarding His name, rejecting that sin. That's the second point. This is the negative, the do not part of this commandment. And it concerns, again, what comes natural to us. Proverbs 18, verse 3 says, When wickedness comes, contempt comes also. That's what comes from the fallen heart, from the sinful heart, is contempt. God deserves honor and glory, but what we in our sin are inclined to give Him is contempt, scorn, hatred. And that naturally reveals itself in blasphemy. Again, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But then he warns us, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So we need to understand well what those words are that will condemn us, so that we can reject them. Our catechism gives a number of examples of what blasphemy looks like. It mentions cursing. This is what we do when we we use God's name to express hatred or contempt. contempt. We take the name of the one who is the embodiment, the fullness, the fulfillment of love, and we use that name to express our hatred or our contempt of someone. How can we do that without utterly scorning and despising God himself? Another form of blasphemy is scornfully speaking of God's works. Jesus warns against this in Matthew 12, calling it the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing when they saw the works of God that Jesus was doing. And they said it was the work of Satan. They said it was something scornful, something to be hated. It was the work of God. It was the power of God to heal people, to bring people to life, to give them hope and help and strength. And they said, no, that's from Satan. That's from an evil place. That's blasphemy. Attributing what is from God to Satan. The most common form of blasphemy is simply using God's name lightly. Far too often. 
Far too often we hear people speak the name of God or of Jesus with no thought of the glorious, majestic, omnipotent God whose name they are invoking. No intention of praying to Him or worshipping Him or confessing Him, but instead using His name merely as a place filler or an exclamation point. Kids, when someone sends you a text, OMG, I can't believe that whatever, that's blasphemy. OMG stands for, oh my God, a phrase that should only be spoken in worship, seeking to honor and extol God, but they use it as a mere expression of excitement, which is scorning the creator and savior of mankind. Likewise, when someone invokes the name of our savior to elicit surprise or delight, unless you're praying to Jesus or confessing him, His name shouldn't be used. To use carelessly the name by which we are saved shows the utmost contempt and scorn for him. And that includes slightly amended forms of his name. Gosh or cripes. There's a number of other ways that people just slightly amend it, but you're really invoking the name of God by mispronouncing it. Having been so blessed by God, we should utterly refuse to scorn him by misusing his name. Now there are a few other ways that are mentioned in Lord's Day 36 as blasphemy uh, involving using God's name in service to falsehood or making vows in his name that we don't intend to keep. We'll talk about those next week. For now, it's enough that we consider these far too common ways of misusing God's name by making it something common, something Something absolutely not special. And don't forget the blasphemy of your actions. We call ourselves Christians. Young people, you understand what that means. It means that you're identifying yourself with Christ the Savior. That's a wonderful, glorious thing. But that means that you're saying, I have been delivered from my sin." I have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. If you identify yourself as a Christian and then you go out and you live as one who continues in rebellion against God, you manipulate other people, you lie, you speak a promise that you don't intend to keep, you spread rumors that are hurtful to people, You try to get away with things, see how little work you can do for the most amount of money. When you do those things, you are blaspheming God because you bear God's name. And what you're telling the world is He has no power to change me. He has no power to make me any different than one who scorns Him. That's blasphemy. We need to always remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20 your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body glorify him and do not blaspheme him in your body now there's one additional aspect to the negative calling of the third commandment in some ways it's the hardest And that's the duty that we have to defend God's name from blasphemy amongst others. 
Now, some will argue that defending God when we witness blasphemy is something we shouldn't do. On the one hand, because we have too many of our own sins to be calling out other people's sins, or also because God is perfectly capable of defending himself. There's some validity in those concerns. So often we hear, judge not lest you be judged. That's a misquote because it misses the whole context. Jesus isn't saying don't ever judge. Right after that he says, take the log out of your eye before you point out the speck in your brother's eye. Which tells us that we have to deal with our own sins first. But then we're to deal with our neighbor's sin. So it's not that we don't point out the blasphemy that others are committing. It's that we make sure our own speech is cleaned up first. That we're repenting of our own sins and putting a priority on that. As far as the fact that God can defend himself, of course he can. He's God. But here's the thing. If if God wants us to respect and honor him, and we should want to respect and honor God, then how can we sit silently by when someone expresses contempt toward him? Young man, I want you to think of it this way. If someone spoke ill of your wife or your girlfriend or your mom, would you say nothing? If someone used her name scornfully, would you just sit silently? Maybe just roll your eyes? Of course not. You wouldn't be much of a husband or a boyfriend or a son if you did that, would you? In fact, she would be right if she found out that you had said nothing to be pretty annoyed with you, that you didn't defend her honor, that you thought so little of her that you couldn't be brought to speak up in her defense. Well, if that's true for us with regard to our wives or our mothers, how much more so with regard to God who made us, who preserves us, who keeps us, who loves us. So we are called to guard God's name from blasphemy. Now, of course, we should strive to begin gently. When someone uses God's name to curse, ask him nicely not to do so. When someone speaks Jesus' name thoughtlessly, explain to him why it's offensive. Come to them out of love, assuming the best, that they're just ignorant. That they're just doing what they've heard others do and not really thinking through the implications of it. But if they continue, then you need to not be a party to it by being silent. If it happens in my home or my business, I need to make sure it stops. Even if that means offending a friend, even if that means alienating a customer, and if it happens in a place that is not my home or my business, a place where I have no authority and they don't want to stop, then I need to leave there. I need to not be a party to it by being there. And folks, make no mistake, that's hard. They will mock you. They will belittle you. They will spread contempt upon you. So what? What is your honor compared to God's? We need to be willing to unfriend that 
friend on social media that continues using God's name as an exclamation point. We need to be willing to walk out of that overpriced movie when they use the Lord's name in vain. We need to be willing to risk that friendship or that business contact with the person who scorns our Savior. Look at the example God gave us in Leviticus 24. The Israelites heard this young man blaspheming and he is their relative. But they didn't say, well, that's just Bill. No. They took him. They said, God's honor is more important even than our family relations. And don't you think that there weren't relatives going, I think you're way too harsh. You should have just warned him. You bet there were. But God's honor was more important. And in fact, it was so important, the offense was so deep that God commanded that he be killed. Now against that example, how hollow our excuses sound when we refuse to say something to that coworker, when we refuse to say something to that friend, when we refuse to say something or to walk out of that movie. God's name represents His very being as those who are saved by His name, transformed by His name, identified by His name. We must not remain silent in the face of blasphemy. But instead, we must root out and pray for the strength to root out blasphemy within our lives. And then we need to pray for the the courage and the conviction to speak to others who do so. However, I don't want to end on that negative note. Because every negative in God's law implies a positive. And that's as true here as with any command. As surely as God calls us to silence blasphemy against His name, so surely does He call us to promote His honor by using His name. And that's our final point. Listen, the Jews of old came up with a terribly creative but terrible way of not running afoul of the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. They thought, well, since it's such a serious sin, we just won't use His name. That's how we came up with God's name appearing in our Bibles as Lord. You see, what they would do is when they were reading in their Hebrew Bibles and they came to Yahweh, they would speak Adonai, which means my Lord. But to remind them to do that and to remind them not to say Yahweh the later Jews would put the vowel points. You understand Hebrew is written all in consonants. So they make little marks to remind them of what vowel sounds they should use. So they would put the vowel points of Adonai every time they wrote the word Yahweh. Thing is, linguistically, that doesn't make any sense. Okay? It should be pronounced Yahweh. If you pronounce Yahweh with the vowels for Adonai, you come up with Yahovah or Jehovah, which is how we came up with that. But what they would say is Adonai, which means my Lord, which is why in our English Bibles, most of them have Lord. Now, I don't say that to condemn the use of Jehovah or Lord. The Lord knows our hearts, right? He knows that you're meaning his covenant name. 
But the point to that is we shouldn't do as the Jews sought to do, seeking to avoid the sin by avoiding the use of God's holy name. Instead, we should strive to use that name often with reverence and with awe, recognizing each time we use it that we're invoking the name of the one who made us, the one who every moment sustains us, the one who saved us from the hell that we deserved and promised us an eternity of blessing in heaven with him. In fact, the one who promised that he would make heaven and earth one, renewing it all, renewing us so that we could serve him with the fullness of our being. How can we not use his name and use it with reverence and with awe? And we should do so. We should do so in worship. Look at how often in the Psalms, we heard it in our call to worship this evening, didn't we? Psalm 96, sing to the Lord, sing to Yahweh a new song, sing to Yahweh all the earth, sing to Yahweh, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations. You hear how many times his name is used? In those psalms from 95 to 99, or 100, it's that way in each one of them. His name is used repeatedly. Look at Psalm 99. Yahweh reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. Yahweh is great in Zion. He's exalted over the people. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. We should honor God by using His name in worship, by using His name in prayer, by using His name in confession, speaking to one another. Time and time again. Look at what our Heavenly Father has done. Look at how Jesus has saved us. Look at how the Holy Spirit is transforming us. We need to use the name of the triune God in all of its forms. God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. All of those are proper uses of the Lord's name and we need to use them with honor and with reverence. Calling one another to call upon Him. Calling one another to honor and uphold Him reminding each other of the glory of His promises and of His trustworthiness. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, we honor Him through the use of His name. And we need to teach our children that too. They need to hear us throughout the week using the name of the Lord. We're going to do this job, you say to your youngin. We're going to do this job and we're going to do it the absolute best we can because the Lord our God gave us this opportunity to serve and He gave us this strength and these talents and we're going to use them in a way that brings glory to the Lord our God, our Heavenly Father. Right? Or when you punish them. Your disobeying of me is disobeying your Heavenly Father. You shouldn't disobey your Heavenly Father. Instead, you should pray for the strength of the Holy Spirit to reflect the character of Jesus Christ by your obedience. We use the name of the Lord to show them what they're to be and to remind them of the promises given to them. And brothers and sisters, when we use His name in those ways, or when we confess Him as the reason for the hope within us, as the reason that we don't simply mourn, but we mourn with hope and with joy when our loved one in the Lord dies. Or when we use that name to tell people how it is that we have hope in the face of disease, that we have strength in the face of hardship. 
We bring honor to God that delights him. My friends, God made us and chose us. He sent His Son to save us from the justice we deserve. He sent His Holy Spirit to transform us and to renew us after His image. All so that we might bring Him, this is the chief reason, all so that we might bring Him the glory that He is due. And right at the heart of that stands His name. So let us pray to Him for the strength to reject the temptation of the sinful heart to scorn His name, to defend Him against those who would scorn His name, and let us pray for the power to confess Him boldly with reverence and with awe, and we will fulfill the purpose for which we were made and saved. Amen. Let's pray together.